0: i'm jason klom and this is the comedy on vinyl podcast the year is 1978 the album a wild and crazy guy the artist steve martin and my guest this week is josh clark thanks for doing the show Hey, thank you for having me on. Of course. Um, so, uh, I'm a super, super late comer to stuff you should know. So, uh, uh, so my apologies there, uh, but uh, I enjoy it, and I enjoy the both of you. And I, f- I figure, I feel like maybe you must have mentioned listening to a comedy album. That's usually what per- perks my ears up, uh, you know, right. just to see if somebody's up for because there, there are a lot of people who just never listened to them growing up, including comedians. Um,
1: so I'm curious why you picked this one in particular. Um, I don't know. It was I was just kind of going through your uh, very extensive catalog. Mm-hmm. Um, that I th- I I mean, what do you? How do you have a catalog like that?
0: Uh, I am. I do not discriminate. I buy fifty cent albums, ones that barely play, because I don't really. Mm-hmm. I'm a collector who just I just want to see what I can find. I'm not a big. Uh, I don't care if the album's clean, unless I'm gonna have it signed or something. So
1: sure, sure. So well, it's it's open. impressive, and I was going through your your archives, deep deep archives. Sure, sure. Right? <laughs> and uh, that was I don't know, just something about it just jumped out at me. And um, I, I I mean, it's Steve Martin. Everybody knows who Steve Martin is. Sure. but uh, The Steve Martin I was raised on is a different Steve Martin, a little bit different than the one who's on this this album. For He's sure. He's like you know the Steve Martin from Three Amigos or Roxanne or Planes, Trains, and Automobiles or you know, parenthood, like uh, a, a, I guess a, a tragicomic actor, uh-huh. if that's if that's the right word. Where you know, he's like he's funny, but he's also kind of gets you in the breadbasket here or there, especially on planes, trains, and automobiles. Oh, of course, come on. So to so to hear him just doing like pure up it was it was kind of a treat actually, more than I realized it would be when I picked it
0: you know now that you're saying that I think I might have even at points because of this podcast rewritten my personal history with him because there's no doubt I grew up with that same exact experience but I've since I think heard his albums so many times I'm like yeah I grew up with his albums no dumb dumb mm-hmm. you didn't I had the mm-hmm. same experience you did um right. so had you so this is not one you had heard listening
1: do you would not listen to growing up no no um, Fascinating. I'm trying to think of ones I listened to grow no this is I wanted to try something new you know um, yeah one, the one that sticks out to me the most um, that I, I just listened to on repeat over and over and over again, there's actually two of them. One was Andrew Dice Clay. Uh-huh. I can't remember whatever his like his debut album was. And then the other one came out around the same time, and it was um, Dennis Leary's uh, album, Can I, A Cure for Cancer. That's what Dennis mm-hmm. Leary's yep. was called. And um, that is, I, I mean, I haven't listened to it. I was listening to it in eighth grade. And, you know, that's a, a bit of an indicator right there that if I thought something was hilarious in eighth grade, there's a there's a decent chance I wouldn't think it was as hilarious as an adult. But I don't know. I, I'd like to go back and listen to that one and just see if I uh, if I would think it was quite as funny. I'm sure it's like a million times more offensive now. Oh, yeah. In the context of today than in the context of 1989. But it was uh, it was good if I remember correctly.
0: I'm wondering now, yeah, I'm wondering the same thing. Like, Dice is not a guy I grew up with, and people have tried to expose him to, me to him on the show. And we mm-hmm. always do at the end. At the end of every episode, I ask, why would you recommend this? And the first person to pick Dice was like, actually, I don't think I would. So, like, they, they immediately <laughs> revisited that. But Dennis mm-hmm. Leary, I do wonder, because I was obsessed with that that album myself. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's still, I was th- every time I hear the name Jim Fix, I think of Dennis Leary. Like, there's some names that I learned because yes. of that album.
1: Exactly, yeah. I mean that that came out during a formative time. How old are you? I'm 42. I'm 38. So we are, we are okay. Yeah, close enough. Well, we we both shared that period as like a formative time. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's how I learned about Jim Fix too. Yeah, I'm like, who who the hell is Jim Fix? It's like learning about Spiro Agnew from Mad Magazine. Or something, <laughs>
0: <you know? laughs> that's weird. You say that I am looking at a Spiro Agnew Mad Magazine right now. Uh, no. Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. Wow. Uh-huh. That's amazing. I have I uh, uh, one of my guests a few years ago. I, I bought this Mad Magazine, or no, this Mad Magazine was given to me because I'm obsessed with the vice presidency. And they're like, they picked a good <laughs> one. They picked the Nixon Agnew cover. And uh-huh. I I emailed this guest after I had, because I knew he re- wrote for Mad Magazine. I'm like, I couldn't find anything you wrote in this one. I wanted to get you to sign. And he's like, I wrote the cover one in that, ma- that Mad Magazine. And I'm like, oh, I'm a
1: friggin' idiot. So he ended up signing it for me. So that's why it's on the that's wall. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I grew up with Mad myself, and that was um, – I, I love it. We did a – we actually had a um, TV show for a little while oh. there. Um, well, I should say for one season. Some mm-hmm. of you should know, I had a TV show on Science Channel. And um, we made sure just to kind of like dust almost every scene – it was set in an office. Mm-hmm. We made sure that almost every scene had a Mad Magazine in it. <laughs> it's not it. like every single one did, but a lot of them did. I'm, I'm reading Mad Magazines in some of them. It's so um, good. It's, uh, we just wanted to kind of give it a, a little quiet shout out to mad because you know that meant a lot to chuck my co-host too yeah he was raised on those as well
0: oh that's so good what is uh we're going to i promise to my people who might be upset if i if i derail us but i do want to know because you're not a comedian but i do want to know what your background is because you are a funny guy you are a performer uh, but <laughs> you're also a researcher i'm curious mm-hmm. a what you consider yourself and then b
1: i want to know your story and uh, how you got here Uh, I considered myself a podcaster and still do, but, Mm -hmm. um, somebody, uh, named Richard Falwall who used to write for the, I think the Brookings institution. Um, he, he once wrote a a blog post on stuff you should know and he called it explanatory journalism. And I was like, oh, okay, well I'll just be that then. That's what I'll call myself from (laughs) Mm -hmm. now on. But, um, podcaster kind of rolls off the tongue a little more, um, strangely enough. Yeah. So that's what I consider myself for sure. I've been, podcasting for 10 years Um, I guess that's what I do Um, and I I got here by a kind of a circuitous route like I studied history and anthropology and I have a bit of a background in journalism Um, but really the thing the the common thread from basically about third grade on was writing Mm -hmm. I'm I'm a writer which is Mm -hmm. weird because you know now I'm a researcher so I'm doing like one half of writing yeah I'm doing the everything but the writing And it kind of bummed me out for a little while because before I started podcasting, I was getting pretty good at writing. I was actually I could go back and look at stuff I'd written and say, um, oh, that's still pretty good. I I like that. But um, I stopped writing and I got real rusty really fast. But then I realized, like, well, I'm talking now. It's like a different form of writing. Sure. It's still communicating ideas to people. I'm just not writing. I'm doing it, you know, um, th- through speech rather than the written word, and it's just as good. So I'm I'm pretty happy with uh, with where I'm at. And I also have another side solo project called The End of the World with Josh Clark. Yes. And I've written um, that one is not conversational. It's it's all scripted. And I've written ten episodes now and I went back and counted the words and I wrote like about sixty thousand plus words. Shit. Um and like wrote it, wrote it, you know, and mm-hmm. I was like, Okay, good, I can still I can still do the writing. So I'm able to, to do both now. Now I can talk and write. Watch me go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, and I, th- I th- you know, what's funny is I think I asked that question expecting a different answer, despite, you know, I know what you do and I know a bit of your history. I've, I've heard you guys both talk about having been or lived in L.A. for a period. So I knew you were writers, but I guess it's not a lot of people who are podcasters. First and foremost, a lot of people are. I'm a journalist on the, like Jesse Thorne. He's a journalist. Right. He's an interviewer. Uh, You yep. know, uh, Mark Maron is a friggin stand up. Uh, everybody else has their other thing you mm-hmm. have the good fortune to be a podcaster by trade um yep and not a lot of people get to do that and i think that's kind of great it 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 also is fortunate that you're then tasked with explaining things that people take for granted which i i love
1: yeah we're um we're super super fortunate to have the job that we have and that's not lost on me or chuck um just to be able to just to get paid to research and learn new things and then just tell people about them is it's a pretty good gig, and, and I, I mean, I know I feel super fortunate to have it, so I'm proud to say I'm a podcaster, um, which I'm sure there's a lot of people who would not say that. They would say that they're an, an interviewer or um, a, a writer or a stand-up or whatever, but it's a legitimate profession now. It's 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 been pulled out of the red light districts and into <laughs> mainstream America finally.
0: I uh, do you do you what do you know you can you think of your first memory of Steve Martin?
1: I guess it would be. Oh, I can. As a matter of fact, wow, you just jogged my memory with one question. There we go. It was um, a movie called All of Me. Uh-huh. With, uh huh. With him and Lily Tomlin, they're trapped in the same body. I think he's trapped in Lily Tomlin's body, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Have you seen that movie? I am trying to. Okay, so here's
0: where I get a little confused because there is. I have a very early memory of the man with two brains, and I'm trying to. Yeah, and that's the one I think of, and the idea of him and and being trapped in another body thing. That movie scared me as a child, so um, that's a (laughs) genre that I avoid heavily.
1: This is. I I don't see how even the um, the most foolish child could have been scared by all of me. Okay, good. Who knows? Maybe. Think, things hit people differently in different ways. You but sure. That was my first memory of Steve Martin for sure. Um, I think we saw that movie in the theater, and Lily Tomlin was great, and Steve Martin was great. And I'm sure I missed 10,000 jokes that went sure. right over my five or six or seven year old head. But I loved, you know, Steve Martin throwing himself around and, <laughs> um, you know, fighting. I, I guess it must have been Lily Tomlin who possessed him so because he was fighting her influence and i think i remember him like trying to will himself to walk and he was doing (laughs) it in this really stilted way and um i i I mean it wasn't like a oh i've got to keep my eye on this guy i'm gonna watch his career it was just you know that was my first introduction to steve martin and then two months later there's another steve martin movie and there's another steve martin movie and if you go through his internet movie database list Mm -hmm. first of all He's got, you know, he's got it all. Writer, director, actor, producer, all that stuff. But each list is so deep and they're not necessarily all the same work. Right. Um, and he's been in everything. And so he was, like I was saying at the at the outset, um, I was just kind of raised in this world where Steve Martin was part of the world. He was a big part of the world. He was one of the biggest actors in the world. And I think rightfully so because he's like a genuinely likable person, you know? Yeah. And I like him. For sure. So I, I, think he's, I think he's genuinely likable.
0: I like that he starts off, though, with... I mean, the, the thing that launches him launches him is his first album, uh, Let's Get mm-hmm. Small. And then this one mm-hmm. picks up where that one left off a year later, where he's like... Yeah. You, you can hear a difference between the two, where he's in smaller clubs in the first one, still getting famous. And in this one, it's just balls to the wall, insane gangbusters, every word for a giant career. And he has mm-hmm. this... This character that I people loved, but the character is an asshole, and I yeah. there's something about it that I, it's still like I don't mind talking about this album again. We've talked about it a few times, but the Steve Martin ones are they are evergreen, at least for me.
1: Oh, you, somebody else has picked this album before? Oh, yeah.
0: we've uh, the, they're, the, Here's the thing. Of the best albums of all time, they're going to get uh-huh. repicked. But I yep. like listening to people's experiences because you've never heard it before. That's a different thing. Most of the time people are picking it because they heard this growing up. You didn't. Um, okay. All right. And okay, based on, feel and a based on your age, I was like, did he grow up? That doesn't seem like this would have been something he, he would have heard growing up. So that's why that I would have been
1: two. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's it's like, you know, and so that's why I'm always curious about that. So yeah, no, I like that you picked this based on loving a different part of his career. It'd be, it'd be the mm-hmm. same as somebody who, <laughs> I don't know if there's anybody who grew up on the, uh, like weird family movie version of of steve martin and then would go back to i don't know if that's a thing did anybody i don't know if he has giant fans that are you know 1918 but i feel like there's a certain age of us that are going to be giant fans did this so how'd this album sit with you then
1: very well very well okay um i i mean i knew honestly nothing about it as i was listening to it i was you know kind of doing some research and and looking up stuff about it and i mean you said it was like one of the evergreen classics of all time. And I saw that the library of Congress put it in the national archives. It's yeah. like a, a culturally significant record apparently. Yeah. Um, which I totally buy. Um, but that's pretty good considering it's a second album. It's not as first, it's not as final. It's just like this, the, usually the second of whatever, especially if your first one hits of whether it's your album or your podcast or your TV show or whatever. Um, it, it's not quite as good as the first, or it maybe kind of incrementally improves on it. It's not necessarily Library of Congress material. Um, so I think that's pretty, pretty. you know, we should all tip our caps to him for being able to kind of go to just shoot f- to the stars and then shoot to, you know, further into the cosmos with the second one too. Um, but to answer your question, <laughs> the way that it sat with me was, it was it was uh, pleasantly surprising. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Like I I mean I'd seen him on Saturday Night Live, and I knew like just just by proxy like the guys he hung out with I knew were <clears throat> like Dan Aykroyd or Bill Murray or um, Chevy Chase that I like I I know about them biographically. Um, so it wasn't like it's just a complete surprise like oh my God Steve Martin's making sex jokes or whatever <laughs> right. nothing like that. Um, but it was. Uh, it was cool. It was, it was just nice to hear that even even at his very beginning, when he was a stand-up, when I guess you could call uh, him his rawest before he was co-opted by money and fame and all that stuff, mm-hmm. you, can, you can see that he was still a good guy back then, and he remained a good guy up to this very day from what I can tell. And I, I like that about him.
0: Yeah, just a guy who, you know, perplexes a lot of uh, needy stand-ups or comedians like myself who are like, well, why did you stop doing stand-up? Well, he got bored of it. He just got bored. Like, I mean, that's actually, and there's something what I, I stupidly did not send you something that I will send you after this. Um, There was a record that came out at the time that is essentially a podcast, might as well be a podcast, because it is a record of the making of this record, and it is not a joke record. It is Warner, oh, yeah? Warner Brothers did this uh, a couple times in the '70s, where they interviewed the artist about the making of the record, and it is just mm-hmm. a sit down with Steve Martin, not cracking jokes. It is serious. Steve Martin just saying, "Oh yeah. well, you know this joke worked and this joke didn't work, and this is how I develop." It's it's a lot of what you ended up reading. And have you read Born Standing Up, his book? No, I haven't. So no, I haven't. Fucking good. I'm not a stand up, but if you like comedy at all, it's worth reading. It's just a very very good book, uh, or the um, audio book.
1: He says something, and I don't remember the exact words, but he says something in this on this album, mm-hmm. uh, in one of the bits that he, he, he like he, he, he he's working on more serious stuff. I think yeah. he was talking about writing books or something like that, because he's also like a, a very prolific um, author as yeah. well, right? Not yeah. just not just biographical or memoirs. Like I think he writes maybe crime fiction or something like that. That's always um, possible. I don't know. I I believe he is. I could be confusing him with a Steve Martini. I don't know. Don't hold me to it because I haven't researched it. But he, you know, he plays the banjo, and I know he does. He's kind of a bit of a Renaissance man. Um, And and you can. It's funny that even back then he was interested in doing more than just comedy. Mm -hmm. Um, Which which I'm so I'm not at all surprised that he sat for like a documentary. On the making of this album, at all that early podcast. What, what was it called? Uh, I'm gonna have to pull it up because I can't remember what it's. Called. It's. Based, I think it's
0: called the Steve Martin Radio Hour, is what they ended up mm-hmm. calling it, if I'm not mistaken. And a buddy of mine cleaned that record up and put it online for free because you can't buy it anywhere. So I'll I'll point. Oh, you that's there. cool. I'll point you to that. Um, it's worth it. It's worth listening to. It's weird to listen to him get serious uh, at a time when I've only heard him do this doofy shit on stage, which I. I don't know it's there's something about a guy in his you know late 30s however old he was at the time just mm-hmm. being a complete dipshit and wearing these bunny ears on on the front it's <laughs> it's pure joy
1: it oh it totally is like his his comedy is very joyful there's not a lot of darkness to it um there's even though it's not naive at all and mm-hmm. you could even call it probably fairly hip even at the time when everybody was smoking grass or whatever at his shows and mm-hmm where was it, the The boarding house in San Francisco? Yep, so the um, first
0: half is the boarding half, house in San Francisco and the second half is Red Rocks Amphitheater,
1: so. Which which I did not know, I, <laughs> when they switch over to Red Rocks, I'm like, wow, this crowd really came alive <laughs> all right, of a sudden. Right? And, and I, went, I went and looked it up, I'm like, oh, okay, I, I got it now, They're, they moved to Red Rocks for some weird reason, uh-huh. um, but it, it's very odd, it was an odd choice, um, I, I hate to use the word, but conceptually, like putting mm-hmm. the album together, because it really shifts the dynamics of it. To go from this quiet little room where the, the crowd is, is laughing, they're having a good time, but- you can tell it's a small room just like you know you would expect it to be and then all of a sudden there's just there's just people going nuts his every word like you were saying I it's love interesting it to, to see the difference
0: and it is a solid artistic choice I think you know it's it's a it's a gag but it's also a solid artistic choice where you can clearly you know the 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 pretentious artist in, in him is there and I love good pretentious comedy like
1: it is my mm. favorite shit <laughs> Like <laughs> you, like what? Give me another example of. Pret- well, good, good pretentious comedy. Uh,
0: there are. And uh, hopefully well, he won't take any offense. He's a friend of mine. Uh, Phil Proctor, of the Fireside Theater. I think a lot of the Fireside Theater stuff can verge on the pretentious verge uh-huh. on it. But whenever it gets there, it makes fun of itself. And I, I like that. One of my favorites. Oh, yeah. Maybe I shouldn't call this one pretentious because it is uh, the most underrated comedy album of all time. Probably Modern Scream <laughs> by Lily Tomlin. It is genius because it is a mix of stand-up and sketch, and the sketch is all almost all about the making of the album, and it's all fake and it's all bullshit. It's <laughs> That's awesome. brilliant, and it's one that I keep waiting for someone to pick on the show, and I'm gonna have to force uh-huh. it on somebody. Like they're gonna have oh, to listen should. to it. It's it's underrated, and Lily Tomlin is one of those people who, mostly because she's a woman, doesn't get recognized in this this field of art. That's like a super there's there's too many dudes in in my collection uh, and she's one that stands out and people should listen to it it's very good
1: so you were saying something if you don't mind me um asking you a question sure. you, were, you were saying like you don't understand why guys like Steve Martin don't you know why they leave stand-up Why they don't keep doing stand-up and then you realize well it's because they get bored with it but don't a lot of them return to stand-up at some point later on in their career and if so why is that like my, my wife and I just watched the um the Adam Sandler special on Netflix, uh-huh. which, uh, I mean, I don't know how you feel about Adam Sandler, but it's it's pretty sweet, actually. It's I keep hearing that. It's got a lot that. of heart to it. It's it's definitely worth seeing. You, if you're, if your conception of Adam Sandler is strictly Jack and Jill these <laughs> days, it, it's definitely a return to his earlier stuff for sure. Interesting. Um, but it's 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 worth spending an hour watching, especially there's a tribute to to Chris Farley on there. That's oh, awesome. Sweet. Yeah. Um, but but he you know, he went back. Um, Jerry Seinfeld obviously went went to go do stand up again afterward. Is it is it if a if a comic who's made it mm-hmm. and by making it no longer has to do stand up when they go back and do. Do stand up again is it, are they having like a, an identity crisis um do they need some sort of stability or familiarity do they need to show that they can still do it or is it they're returning to like their first love or some other option i don't know about i think it's a solid mix
0: of many things you said but i can tell you that as a person who grew up writing and grew up doing improv only on camera or on tape like i didn't do anything in front of audiences after I mm-hmm. did get up in front of an audience regularly for the first time seven years ago, I will tell you there's nothing better. It is the ultimate drug, even if it's for a small crowd, as long as they love you. And that's right. what, that, And I don't care who you are. Steve Martin will probably admit uh, he needs strangers to love him in that way, too. Like, I, I think if if – because he got up and did that thing with Martin Short. Now, he doesn't need it, but it's one of those things that, like, if you're going to revisit it, do it right – and and do it do it huge i do think there's there is that desire to come back and like okay i've been doing this and this and this and this uh, 20 hour days uh, you know on a on a stupid film set or mm-hmm. you know i i do think there might just genuinely be uh, without being a cynic and saying oh it's probably money i think there is like a genuine desire to come back and like just be in front of people and make them laugh and get that like wave of energy in person
1: i think yeah, and I would guess, especially guys at like Steve Martin or Seinfeld level, it's, it's not money. It's something definitely different yeah. than money because those guys are loaded.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And I, the, the only
0: one that I, that I really desperately want to see come back now since you know, Steve Martin did that thing with Martin Short is uh, Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy is the guy I want mm-hmm. to see come back.
1: <laughs> one of my wife's and my f- uh, prized possessions is a framed signed copy of um, Party All the Time. Are you uh, kidding me? vinyl? No, no. How did that uh, happen? It's well, we were uh, just hanging out one night and started talking about that song, and um, I, I don't know, one thing led to another as they do, and we ended up on eBay and found it and bought it. It's <laughs> <That's> amazing. Of <laughs> it <laughs> it all things, it was to one own. of the best purchases we've ever we've ever made. Holy shit, that
0: is yeah. phenomenal. Wait, what's the cover on? I'm gonna have to look up what the cover of that is because I... oh, you're
1: gonna love this cover. He's wearing a black leather suit. Very tight-fitting suit, uh, unzipped basically down yes, to his navel, just looking are. like cool Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. And um, he, he he looks like a, a guy who has a girl that just wants to party all the time. That's he what he looks like. He absolutely does. There. That's right. Yeah. Oh, that's and amazing. what's funny, we, we got a certificate of authenticity, mm-hmm. and <laughs> it was just a printed out piece of paper that the guy who who we bought the record from said this is authentic we're like oh well this is this will surely hold up at christie's when we eventually auction this off
0: believe me that's like it might as well be a piece of paper that says i have those too so i'm like i'm always like oh fuck what did i all right that's fine you know what i love this is it i have it i've got i supposedly have gene wilder's signature on a screenplay right
1: i will
0: see you know, it matches the one that he signed in person for me, so I'm I'm hoping. Oh well, there you go. You that's know.
1: I think that's proof positive. I think, or so. else he has somebody who really has been studying his signature. <laughs> right, uh.
0: man, that's an awesome album to have. Uh, do you so listening to this? Is there what are there any bits that stood out to you as like uh, particular
1: favorites? Um, let's see, the cat joke. <laughs> Uh-huh. Was uh, it was like pure the, the 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 essence of comedy. You know, comedy is like what a, a cognitive dissonance, like just a big slap of cognitive dissonance mm-hmm. right there. And that was it. Like I was not expecting that whatsoever. And uh, neither was the crowd. And uh-huh. the fact that he he used that bit that that he performed at Red Rocks, I think it was like he had no choice. It, mm-hmm. was, it had to be the Red Rocks one because the crowd's reaction <laughs> is just so like explosive that it, it makes being, you know, surprised by it even even more. Mm-hmm. I
0: I, I had a feeling you might bring up the cat joke. That that that's that's <laughs> tends to be the
1: standout for most people on this album. <laughs> oh. It's a good one. It is. Um I uh I feel like I can't do it any justice, so I would just direct your listeners uh to go back and and listen to that that one too. I'm not sure what the name of that bit was. Do you know? Was it I think it was a charitable kind of guy maybe? Yep.
0: Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. Cuz he does a have another and a half long. There's another track called Cat Handcuffs, but that's a different bit. So.
1: Right, right. It is.
0: <laughs> I <laughs> uh I'm I, this this thing just brings me glee thinking about it. He's and the fact that he can hold this character for this long,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is a character who is clearly there to also absorb their love. Like that's the other weird thing. Like he's playing a stand-up as a
1: stand up yeah, yeah, right, and that's but he's also he also oh. breaks the fourth wall though while he does it too, you know what I mean mm-hmm. like he he is, and I hadn't really thought about it that way until you say it, but he he's breaking the um the character I guess of the stand up mm-hmm. in that like like he comes out with well, the first thing he does is is something that like any performer um can tell you you want to do but you're really not supposed to do is talk about how sick you are of doing the material you're <laughs> about to do right nobody does that yeah. um i went and saw i saw culture club once they like reunion tour just a, a couple of years ago and there was the second to last show and boy george was talking to his guitarist at length about how this was the second to last show just one more show and they were done and it's like oh, I made a, a note to myself, like never do that on stage because it really <laughs> takes the joy out of what you're seeing. Because to you, it's the first time you're seeing this stuff. And it's a good performer will make you forget that 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 they that this isn't the first time they're they're telling you all these jokes. Right. And Steve Martin immediately comes out and says like how tired he is of this material. He's been doing it for two weeks, and um, and really just kind of. Uh, just just takes the piss i guess out of the uh the whole the whole idea that you're not supposed to do that and actually yeah. gets the the crowd to just go along with it and laugh so he's playing the the part of a stand up, but at the same time he's he's breaking the rules of being a stand up or a performer of any kind so I guess he's adding an extra layer is what I'm saying, which is i i guess genius
0: it is and it only works it does not work if you're culture club and you're there to do a certain level of thing that's really funny to me that's like a doctor giving you a diagnosis and saying oh thank god you're like my last patient before i retire I uh, hope you know good mm-hmm. luck dealing with somebody else like it's it's very much <laughs> it's, it's so fucking dismissive to say that on stage unless you're steve martin doing that bit which is yeah brilliant
1: he uh, cracked the code Mm-hmm.
0: it's very it's i mean in terms of like stand-up it's super meta i mean it wasn't a thing Stand-ups didn't talk, I mean, I won't say didn't. I, I have different stand-ups talking about, you know, the life of a stand-up, this and that and this and that. But getting inside the head, revealing the thing you're not supposed to reveal is is very brilliant. And mm-hmm. it's still not a thing that I could think of a lot of stand-ups who, who do, you know, would do anything like that. Uh, what were your, did you listen, uh, listen to or watch a lot of stand-up growing up? We've talked about the movies you watched with Steve Martin in them.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I listened to, um, like I said, a lot of comedy albums here and there. Some George Carlin, mm-hmm. um, that Dennis Leary album over and over again. Um, I'm trying to think of who else I listened to. Um, I think one of the things that got me, it wasn't necessarily like um, in individual stand-ups that I followed. But when I was uh, younger, I, I was you know, sentient when Comedy Central came around. And when Comedy Central launched, it was... It was stand-up. That's what it was. It was a a network of stand-up comedy. It was just a beautiful idea. Commercially, a horrible idea. (laughs) Luckily, they figured out some ways to stay around because I still love Comedy Central for what it is today. But at the time, it was... If you wanted to watch stand up at any given time of the day, you could find clips of stand up comedians. Mm-hmm. Um, they had this show called Short Attention Span Theater. Oh, yeah. And it was like, no, you're familiar. Yeah. It, it was like 30, 30, 60 second bits, maybe two minutes tops, it seems like. Yeah. Um, that, 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 just the best of somebody's show. And so I I didn't I mean, I learned who a lot of stand ups were. I'm sure that was just like a boon for stand ups at the time. Yeah. But um, it, it wasn't that I necessarily found stand ups that I loved and wanted to follow. I did here or there. But it was more like bits like jokes that I just kind of absorbed over the years. And um, as I'm saying this, I'm starting to sweat and panic a little because I'm sure that your follow up question is going to be like, well, well, what? What's a <laughs> what's a joke you remember? <laughs> and I'm, I'm realizing I'm drawing a blank right now, but maybe I'll blurt one out later on when it comes to mind.
0: I don't know, man, like jokes are y- sure. I mean, it'll, it'll happen in in the moment. and It might be something you remember mm-hmm. and tell a friend or whatever. But I do feel like stand up is so much about personality. You remember mm-hmm. the way they deliver, you're like, oh, I like their. I you're subconsciously saying, I like their worldview. Let's see more of that, like, or if it's Mitch Hedberg, you're like, I could watch an hour of this guy do this dumb shit, you know. So it's, right. it's you know, you don't always remember the jokes. Although that's that's a shitty example because I feel like people overquote Mitch Hedberg and his jokes all the time. But you know, for the most part, you're remembering personality.
1: Well, Mitch Mitch Hedberg is almost like. A... And I part of identity politics, he was like a hipster before there are hipsters, he was sure. like a proto hipster, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So he's he's as fresh as ever these days, it seems like. And I like his stuff, um, but it's uh, it's never hit me in exactly the way that I think maybe it's hit some other people. Uh-huh. Um, I, I mean, I appreciate it for what it is, but he's never like he's never just nailed me except for the all encompassing thing. Where it, he's trying to replace like um, words like totally or completely mm-hmm. with uh, he keeps using it over and over again so he's he's replacing it with words <laughs> like um, do you like the sub all encompassingly that one got me <laughs> I've always loved that one It's stuck with me since what the the 90s I guess when he was working right I think so yeah
0: late 90s early 2000s um,
1: yeah uh, yeah one of those weird
0: brief careers that also crossed over into film very very briefly too because he's in um uh almost famous uh, have you is he yeah yeah he plays somebody's friggin agent he's in a scene with peter frampton and a bunch of other friggin people <laughs> Crazy. He's, yeah he just looks the part like he already all they had to do was put a polyester shirt on him and he was good to go That's it's so sad though like what a yeah. what
1: a I mean just what a total waste for what sure a, just a compl- like a waste you yeah.
0: know yeah yeah there's, there's, Same with
1: Farley too. Yeah. Like I, you, again, you can say what you will about Farley, and I'm sure there's, as amongst professional stand-ups in particular, I would guess a lot of people would be like, that's that's not actually like funny. He's throwing himself around, but he was like a beloved figure, you yeah. know, and yeah. and to die like that is. It's just sad.
0: Well, and especially, well, not especially, but, you know, and we do know, like, he's a guy who I think we know a little bit about his his dreams. Like, he wanted to play Fatty Arbuckle on screen and never got to do. So, like, we know bits and pieces of stuff he wanted to do if he hadn't died. And that makes mm-hmm. it sadder. Um, mm-hmm. Have you guys ever covered, you must have after thousand, you know, over a thousand episodes of your show, covered anything comedy adjacent that I might not be thinking of? Because you guys cover so much stuff.
1: We, uh, yes, we have. As a matter of fact, we did. Um, there's a podcast festival in LA mm-hmm. called LA Pod Fest, and um, whenever we did that one, we would do something on comedy. So, we did an entire episode on Monty Python, Ooh. we did one on Rodney Dangerfield. All right, I mean, like, did some deep research on Dangerfield. That's awesome. Um, we the first year sucked. We did how, like, how, la- um, or what's what makes things funny. I oh, can't shit. even remember the, the <laughs> name of the It's almost impossible stupid. to talk about. Yeah, it was. And we even talked about in the, um, I think Chris Rock was the one who said, like, the, the the best way to make something not funny is to talk about why it's funny, you yeah. know? Yeah, And that is what we did. We we um, just dove right in and uh, just sucked the air out of the place. So we thought, <laughs> well, we're going to try something different in the following years. And I guess that's all we've done. We did um, Rodney Dangerfield and Monty Python. And uh, I'm trying to think of anything else we've done comedy-related, but, I mean, those two are pretty on the nose, and they were Man. they were good episodes, too.
0: The, okay, I'm, I'm, I will download those immediately after we get off the... Well, you know, the thing is, though, okay, I, I, I think my audience by now knows that while I understand that concept, that talking about why things are funny ruins it, I disagree with it fundamentally, but I also mm-hmm. get it. I also get why people say that. But I think most people who say that are comedians and... Artists are afraid of having the magic of what they do ruined for people or for sure. themselves. And it's just like, well, but I. the way I look at it is like, I know that there are chemicals that make me love or make me have all these other wonderful things happen. They're still mm-hmm. making wonderful things happen. So I'm just as, that makes me no less curious. Like I do want to know. Now I'm not going to sit necessarily and talk about it on a podcast. And I do think it takes guts to do it. Um... Oh, that's a lie. I do it on the show all the time. But I'm just saying to if if that were the sole subject of an episode, people would be maybe annoyed with me. But I do want to. I want to hear what you guys did with it because uh, that's that's fascinating to me. I, I, I'm going to listen to that episode whether you recommend it or not.
1: Oh, okay. I mean, go ahead. It's not like the worst thing you'll ever hear, but but it really was. It really was like it wasn't funny, and I think yeah. I think that's that's kind of maybe that's what they're what people are saying. Like when you talk about comedy. You're dissecting it. You're intellectualizing it. So just by definition or by its very nature, what you're doing is it's not going to produce the same. For sure. Reaction that the actual comedy will. But there's that that doesn't mean there's not value in it. There's plenty Mm -hmm. of value in it, you know. Um, And I think I, I think, you know, what what you do is you explore the kind of the the fandom angle of it, you know like what what makes comedy great, why do people appreciate it you're you're not you're not i mean i I've laughed several times, believe me on this uh this episode so far, but you're not trying to produce comedy, you're Correct. exploring what comedy is and i I think those are two different animals what I was saying with our episode mm-hmm. we just suck we suck the <laughs> air right out of the room you'll see. You'll see when you listen to it. Make sure you let me know what your thoughts are. you like, oh, yeah, you're right. There, there is the, you know, the researcher part of me though, like the
0: researcher and the archivist and stuff, like I'm down to listen to something even if it's a dry exploration of comedy. So at the very least, like that sure. is 100% up my alley. Like I am, I, yep. I'm going to listen to it and probably enjoy it very much. Um, but I do think people do get afraid. Like it's the same reason like talented, pardon me, uh, skilled people use the word talent. Because it's it's it adds a little extra magic to what they do, makes them seem a little mm-hmm. more valuable. So I do mm-hmm. think I know what you're saying, but I, I do think there was also a little hesitance to like, oh I don't want to talk about what makes this work. I just want to do it. You know? There's fear. There's right. a little fear in there for performers.
1: Right, for sure. Now we like we don't I mean, we do perform, we do live shows, so mm-hmm. I know I know what you mean about, you know, like getting that that reaction from the crowd is like the greatest thing ever. Um but I, I don't think we necessarily consider what we do in any way, shape, or form comedy. It's, right. It's talking. It's, it's knowledge sharing, basically. But it can still have humor to it, you know? Yeah. But I think if we went back and explained why the joke we just told was humorous, it would make the joke less humorous. And so we know to just roll with it because it's something separate than what we're doing, which is knowledge sharing. It's kind of an add on to it.
0: If you did the, an entire episode, though, where you explained why every joke was funny, I would 100 percent be on board for that, though. I just I you, will point that really? out. Really? Yes, because it would be funny. Like, it would be so absurd that okay. you will have you will have leapt past that hurdle and it's just so fucking dumb that you won't shut up about why that was funny to me that's great that could be tedious to most people but i have a sense sure. of humor that that i f- sometimes is tedious so that's just how that goes
1: the- that would fall into the same ballpark as what Andy Kaufman reading that book oh, Christ. on stage once. Yeah. yeah. Same yeah. thing, right?
0: I think so. Even although like I think about it, like when I was nineteen hearing that story, I was like, that's amazing. At thirty eight, I'm like, I would also want to punch him in the mouth. Like I get For it. For sure. I get it. But there's a part yeah. of my brain, the the animal part of my brain would want to punch him in the mouth, much as I might appreciate the art of it.
1: He is a good example of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think I respect what he did, mm-hmm. and um, his mind, uh, and I think I think his work is utter genius, completely. There's just no disputing that whatsoever. Yeah. But it never, I don't remember a time when Andy Kaufman like made me genuinely laugh. Right. 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 So he's one of those people that I I prefer intellectualizing him and his work more than I actually uh, enjoy his work. Sure. And I wanna say and I'm sure that this is this is um kind of a um a, a, a motto of your podcast or at least a paradigm of it that that like by saying a, a stand up comedian hasn't made me laugh or whatever, I'm in no way, shape or form poo pooing anybody else getting joy and laughter sure. from Absolutely. that comedian yeah. too. Yeah. I mean it's just it, that comedy hits diff- different people different ways. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess what I'm saying is, um, I, I like reading about Andy Kaufman more than I like watching Andy Kaufman's stuff.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He's 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 a study, and he's and I think it helps that it's a type of art that cannot be duplicated. If you try, you're still doing your own thing. You can't duplicate mm-hmm. that because it involved being exclusively involved being Andy Kaufman. And which is, you know, there are all kinds of pretentious arguments you can make. Well, then, okay. well, then, you know, that's the most human you can be. That's the most vulnerable you can be. But he's also, you know, being the most artistic and most false that you can be. Blah, blah, blah. There's a million different interpretations. But yes, I would 100 percent agree. And I mean, I don't think I even knew anything about him until they started advertising the man on the moon, the movie where I'm like, I knew a yeah. bit about him and I knew Lotka from taxi. That made me laugh. Right. The shit that he hated the most supposedly. But <laughs> yeah. then they did all these documentaries about him cause I'm supposed to care about him. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. It made me go see the movie. You know, they did. Yeah.
1: That I, I, that's where I learned the most about him too. But then, you know, over the years i have kind of followed up on some of that. Like, um, we did an episode on faith healing once and I was like, Oh yeah, oh. man on the moon. Um, Andy Kaufman underwent psychic surgery or something yeah. for for cancer and uh, in the man on the moon they show that he you know he sees the the trick behind it and um and, and figures it out that the whole thing's just a sham and it's kind of a bit of a cosmic joke to him or whatever but it, I researched it and it turns out in real life that is not at all what happened he came back from I think the Philippines is where he was getting it done uh-huh. and and um, Fully jazzed that he had just gotten uh, psychically healed. Holy shit! Basically through psychic surgery, and fully expected that he would be recovering, and died within a few weeks. Wow! Um, which which was very sad, but mm-hmm. I, I thought that was really interesting. That a biographical movie about him, not only kind of really briefly summed up like the last <laughs> few weeks of his life in yeah. one one moment, but but changed it, just transfigured it so so completely to to kind of make him seem maybe a little hipper than than he was. Yeah, to kind that's of interesting. Flow with the character more than the actual person. Maybe
0: Milos Forman was exhausted because he made the saddest movie ever since he made Amadeus and he's like I can't make another movie where this guy just dies hopeful and or hopeless and I don't know. That's interesting to me that he would just totally change that ending.
1: That's weird. Yeah. Okay. All yeah. right. Yeah, I was really surprised to, to um, hear that. But one thing I found is if you want to know the truth about something, go read the contemporary news articles written right around the time that it happened, like the yeah. original reporting on something. Not necessarily, you know, the the paper's all rushing to have the first story out. That, that sure. didn't happen quite as much back then. So um, – when you read something like contemporary reporting as a as a source, it's a, usually a pretty good source. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing to see how things like like reality morphs into legends over time. Yeah, uh, especially around like cult like figures mm-hmm. um, like Andy Kaufman, you know, who's just adored and venerated by people who will believe, you know slight alterations to reality about their their hero you know
0: he's also got a gatekeeper because bob zamuda can tell you whatever story he wants and then also fuck with you in the same way Andy kaufman did um which is weird it's very strange i I saw him perform once as as tony clifton and it was a weird situation it was so
1: were they were
0: they both him supposedly yeah and i think in the 70s that was more passable because with the makeup it was it it was easier to make andy look like him now like when i saw him he's in his 60s or 70s it's like Mm -hmm. clearly this is bob zamuda i I, i'm Mm -hmm. obviously no under no illusions that he's what's his name is still alive but yeah they, they supposedly both did him um you weren't supposed to know which was which i don't i don't know what the real story is you know but that's what they say that is what they say yeah
1: that's my understanding of it too. I just had never heard officially whether it was both of them or not. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I believe so. Unless, unless Bob picked it up after he passed away exclusively, but that—that's oh, yeah, that, possible too. You know, and he, he, like, yeah. But he's he's a, a good gatekeeper and a guy who can rewrite the history of his best friend, which is a very weird thing. It's a very <laughs> weird thing. Um, okay, so. I know that we did not. Here's the thing: we've talked about this album before, so it's okay that we kind of strayed. It's mostly my fault that we strayed, but I do want you to mm. tell the audience why to listen to this album. Maybe they don't know Steve Martin the same. Maybe they have the same <laughs> the same experience you do. Maybe they only know him oh, okay. from a certain
1: period. That's possible. Yeah, you know? and they may know him just from his catchphrases, like "Excuse me," or "Or I'm a wild and crazy guy." Those are my best impressions that I can perfect, do. dead on. I'm terrible at impressions. <laughs> um, so you get a you get you see the seeds or the roots of this good guy that is Steve Martin, who is a beloved person, but also like a really funny comedian. Um, so I would recommend it just because it's it's. It's comedy that has a lot of heart, it's not like I said, it's not naive, but it's not dark either. It's just it's just funny. There's several points where I laughed out loud, yeah, uh, particularly with the cat joke <laughs> where um, I mean it takes a decent amount to make me laugh, and he got me a few times um and he didn't you know make me forget how terrible the world is, typically or anything like that it was it was more just like um. He put a little uh, sheen on my brain, a little pink fuzzy sweater on it for a little while that I got to wear around and <laughs> and feel pretty good in, like maybe like Ed Wood in his angora sweater, <laughs> but it was on my brain instead. That's that's what I think this album does. It will put a a little fuzzy pink angora sweater on your brain for a little bit, and you can just feel good about it.
0: <laughs> I love it. That is the best endorsement of an album I think that I've ever heard.
1: Uh, well, that's thanks. Wonderful. Uh, uh, this episode, uh,
0: unless you have something urgent to promote, might not come out for a bit, but if you do have something urgent to promote, let me know, but, uh, let people know where to find you and what they should look out for.
1: I, I would love to promote my, uh, podcast, the end of the world with Josh Clark. You can find it everywhere. You get podcasts, including Apple podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, everywhere you get podcasts. And if you like it, leave me a rating and review. Those help a lot. And also, uh, I'll give a little uh, little um, plug for my other podcast, Stuff You Should Know. You can also find that everywhere. And um, if you haven't listened to Stuff You Should Know yet, it's a, a pretty cool little deep catalog of 1,100 episodes of everything from how disco works to voter suppression. And we just take a topic, my co-host and I, and, and break it down to its constituent parts so anybody can understand it. And then The End of the World is a like a 10-part audio series, really heavy on sound design, and it has an amazing um, original score, a uh, sound design by a guy named Kevin Senzaki, and the original score was by a guy named Point Lobo. Just really great stuff that took really, really dry narration and turned it into something really, really special. Um, and it's all about something called existential risks, which are threats to humanity that are big enough and sweeping enough that they could bring about a sudden and permanent end. And we've got a lot of technology coming down the pike that actually pose existential threats like artificial intelligence and high energy physics experiments. And this is a, a, a science-based super exhaustively researched approach to whether those really are threats to us or not and if so what we can do with them. And you can, you can kind of catch up with all that. I, I created a hashtag. You ready for this? Hashtag EOTW Josh Clark and I'm all over social at Josh um Clark cuz I say um a lot.
0: <laughs> that is absolutely perfect. So what 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 I, I if I understand correctly, you're going to create a lot of people who um will suddenly want bunkers. If I'm not mistaken, that's kind of what's going to happen.
1: Or we're supposed to
0: be happy about it.
1: um, A a little bit of both, but um, I'm hoping, I'm hoping, hoping I do not drive people to bunkers because that's going to do nothing. We're still toast. We're toast more (laughs) than ever if people start start moving to New Zealand and, and um, investing all their money in gold bullion. Mm-hmm. We actually need to go the other direction and take these things head on and learn everything we can about them and support science and um, come together in ways that we never have before as a, as a species to, to take on existential risks and do something about them. And if we don't do that, then it's done. It's a foregone conclusion that we're doomed. We're probably not going to make it beyond the next century. Like there won't be humans Two hundred years from now, and um, that's actually at first I got into this whole thing because I found it just fascinating, and then I realized um, it's like a lot of it is based on the work of a guy named Nick Bostrom, a philosopher, and I, I was just fascinated with Nick Bostrom's work, and I thought, well, this would be really cool to kind of explore and turn into a ten-part podcast series, and then as I was researching it and writing, I was like, oh my god, like this is real, like yeah. wh- holy cow, this is real, and I I became convinced that we are facing these existential threats and we are dangerously ignorant of them. Like very few people are paying attention to this stuff. And it kind of evolved into, okay, everybody, hey, um, this is all very interesting, isn't it? But let's like, this is real. We need to wake up and do something about it quite soon. So it actually kind of evolves as the series goes on into a bit of like a a call to arms to start a movement and, and do something about this. It's it's I love it and it seems to be getting a pretty good reaction from the people who have listened to it.
0: Good. I'm I'm excited. I and I respect that you're doing it. Like that's uh, it's um facing that kind of thing is not easy, especially if you're an anxiety uh, ridden person like I am. So I respect that you did it cuz it would uh, probably beat me up to even try. So I'm going to I I've, will listen. I've, yeah.
1: I've heard from a lot of people who um, have anxiety, Um, actually, ironically, Stuff You Should Know is uh, basically a a pill in podcast form for Mm -hmm. people with anxiety. Something about my voice and Chuck's voice together um, and the way we talk and the things we talk about. It can put people to sleep. It can reduce anxiety, like an actual anxiety attack Mm -hmm. uh, we've heard from people. It has this really cool calming effect, and I went the other direction. And talk about, you know, and at the end of the world about some really scary stuff and like serious scary stuff. And um, I've heard from people who are like, I was worried about doing this because I, I suffer from anxiety. And I found that this is actually presented in a way that I can, it's palatable. I can, I can take it. Like I've learned all this stuff, but it didn't, it didn't trigger any anxiety in me. I'm not saying it won't trigger anxiety in people. And I certainly didn't create it to do that, that wasn't my intent at all. And if it does do that, I'm, I'm, I'm horribly apologetic for it. But from what I'm hearing from people, uh, it's, it's not doing that. And I'm extraordinarily gratified because it's, that wasn't my intent at all. My, my intent wasn't to scare people or poke people sure. or cause anxiety. It was to just kind of raise the alarm without being alarmist is what I was going for. So hopefully that's coming through and it sounds like it is. That's awesome.
0: That's wonderful. Um, well, thank you for doing the show. I appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome Jason, back anytime. Um, oh, thanks. Special for you in the L.A. area. It would be fun to do one in person. So, you mm-hmm. know, you let me know. Um, I will very quickly tell everybody to go to lookingforwardmovie.com. I just finished Mark 1, the first cut of my next movie. It's it's super rough and it's got some music in it we might not be able to afford the rights for. But watch it. It's a movie. It, it, was, it was 18 hours of vlogs uh, in uh, 2016 and it is now a feature-length movie and will be a different feature-length movie probably a year from now. But it's something worth uh, checking out, people. Um,
1: Congratulations.
0: Thank you very much. Uh, it, awesome. I, it was I It's been a pain in the ass. It has literally been 14 years in
1: the making. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, Man, I'll bet you feel like a whole weight has lifted off of you now.
0: On a level, yes. And then on another <laughs> level, no, because I know I still have to cut it again. But yes, 100%. Okay. There's,
1: <laughs> some, there's some relief there.
0: Um and uh that's it. Thank you guys for listening and as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at on vinyl.com You can also send snail mail to Stolen Dress Entertainment. P.O. Box 805, Burbank, California, 91503. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review.